in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb, among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you were, went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you're going out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land formed with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. And no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you should tell your sons in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both of the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. This consecration of the firstborn, the feast of the unleavened bread, and the law of the firstborn, they're kind of intermingled here in this text, and so we keep them together because it really is about being set apart. It's about the perpetuation of godly generations in the future. It's about acknowledging God being first over everything, which is rightfully so, for your personal life and for the national life as they get where they're going. And it's really about not forgetting God's faithfulness in the past for who he is in the present and what he's going to do and what he has for the future. So it's his past faithfulness in deliverance for the older generation. It's his faithfulness to keep his word to bring him into the promised land, which will take place in a present generation of the future. And then when that present generation is planted in the future, which is their present once the future comes to pass, there's still a future for other generations that come and other children that come to be redeemed from by the Lord, for the Lord, from the Lord, that's consecrated to the Lord, and the offerings to the Lord. In other words, it's a perpetuation of faith from generation to generation because of God's faithfulness in the past, his faithfulness in the present, and his faithfulness for the future. And so this is what we want to look at tonight. He says in verse 3, Remember this day. Remember this day. Now, the Bible in the New Testament tells us through the Apostle Paul, forgetting those things are behind, we press on to what lies ahead to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And we know that the gospel is always taking us forward. We know that the work of the Holy Spirit is going forward. We talk about this quite often. We can't go backwards and change the past. We have today, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. But here we see this balance that we do remember things of the past. And in the case of the nation of Israel, 
he gave them these feasts. They had the three feasts where they'd come together during the course of the year, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacle. Two were pretty close to each other, Passover and Pentecost. Tabernacle was later. They were in the spring. Tabernacle was in the autumn. Three times a year, the males, wherever they lived, they'd come and stand before the Lord. God had a built-in system in this covenant by which the men were accountable to the Lord. And you think how sobering it is. Like, if you have to give a review at work, like, you work and you have to give a, a, a quarterly review. Like, if you're a manager and you run a store or whatever, like, you got to give a review. We have the fiscal year review in July. We have the calendar year review in January, whatever, and you give a review. It's an accountability. It, it tightens the ship. Like, if there's no accountability, then it can unravel. I remember having lunch with Victor Marks, the famous evangelist years ago, and he said to me, he said, and he had that Louisiana twang. He said, Brother Joey, you got to inspect what you expect. I thought that was an interesting quote. I was like, I, I always remember that from that lunch at Chipotle with uh, Victor Mark sharing that. What he's basically saying is when there's an expectation, then there can be an examination of that expectation. And with the Lord, he gave these three feasts, including Tabernacle right here, where it's an expectation every year you're going to do this. Every year, you're going to eat unleavened bread for one week, and you're going to have the Passover lamb. Every year, all the males are going to come and stand before me, along with their wives and their children and their daughters and everything, and I'm holding the men accountable. Just like when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and Eve sinned first, God didn't hold her accountable that way. He held Adam accountable, the covering. He put it on Adam. It doesn't say in Eve all sin and die. It says in Adam all sin and die. And so, too, the men were accountable. They were equal before the Lord, and there's neither male nor female with Christ, but the accountability works a certain way in God's order, and the men are accountable in a particular way uh, that is just them in this covenant for sure. Uh, all humanity is accountable, of course, but you understand my context. So there is an expectation once a year to come before the Lord, have this feast in Jerusalem, seven days unleavened bread. Now, we know also in the Old Testament Leaven's used about 80 times, and it's always symbolic of sin. Leaven always, you know, we say a little leaven leavens a whole lump. So a little bit of sin, you know, corrupts, and leavens a lump. Leaven will make your bread rise, and unleavened bread doesn't rise. So the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, was associated with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, representing Christ. And then this unleavened bread really represented a consecrated holy life to the Lord. And this whole chapter begins with, consecrate to me all the firstborn. If you were to summarize what this passage is about, it's really about consecration. God's people being consecrated. And it starts with them saying, remember. Remember how I delivered you. And that's really where this consecration begins. So three times a year, he'd have them remember his faithfulness to them and bringing them out of Egypt. But particularly in this feast, remember is remembering the deliverance associated with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So... Remember this day when you went out from Egypt out of the house of bondage by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. Now, a New Testament equivalent of remembering the past and our deliverance from the Lord in the past, because that's what we're talking about now. See, that Philippians passage I quoted earlier, forgetting those things are behind, that's like dwelling on past sins that you can't change and do anything about. It's like just going in a circle and never releasing that. But this remembrance is a good remembrance because it's about remembering our deliverance and how we passed from death to life. And so too, when we have communion, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When did he say that? In the Passover feast with unleavened bread. When Jesus literally said, do this in remembrance of me, he's breaking the bread of unleavened bread at Passover feast. 
Take this cup. This is my blood shed for you. He is fulfilling the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which we saw last week when we studied this in topical element. But now this unleavened bread, Jesus had the unleavened bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. And in this context here, it represented a consecrated, sanctified life. Separate from me whatever opens the womb. Consecration, God's people, the distinction. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's a distinction. That's sanctifying work that we're set apart. If we pass from death to life, we are a new creation in the New Testament through faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone being Christ is a new creation. All things have passed away, all things are new. And so for us, when we receive that forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ, we pass from death to life. And when we have communion, we do this in remembrance of him because we pass from death to life because of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. For by grace you've been saved, that through faith, not of works. So we do in remembrance in the name of Jesus in the church with communion. Our last corporate gathering was communion. What a special night that was. That was a special night, March 14th. It's the last time we're all in here. Be careful. I, I start to cry when I think about that night. It was such a special night. But we did that in remembrance. We've all been scattered ever since. We'll be together sometime soon. But we did that in remembrance of Jesus. We did that in remembrance of his grace. Not in remembrance of our failures. We don't do communion in remembrance of our failures. No, we, we ask forgiveness of our sins when we're convicted of our sins when we have communion. But we're not doing it in remembrance of our failures. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We're not doing this because we fall short of God's law of perfection. We're doing communion remembering Jesus because he paid the price on the cross for our sins and his righteousness is reckoned and imputed to our account because of our faith in him. God made him who knew no sin become sin for us that we could become the righteous of God. It's, it's incredible. So again, as here in this text where he said, you will remember this day how you were delivered from Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh and the house of bondage. And that's what Christ does for us because Egypt is a type of the world. The slavery is a type of being a slave to sin and Pharaoh is a type of the devil. And we are told in the New Testament that Christ has broken the chains of sin, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And he's delivered us from this present evil age, the world system that would tempt us. See, it's an unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world tempts our flesh. Our flesh is prone towards sin, and the devil is the tempter that moves us. So it's an unholy uh, trinity, if you will. But when we give our life to Christ, the Son sets us free. We're free indeed. And so we have this deliverance. He delivers us from the strong hand of Pharaoh. Look, you can never deliver yourself from the devil. I can't deliver myself from the devil. No one can. No one's stronger than the devil in their own strength. None of us. Like, we're all slaves of sin. We're told he, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's him. We're told we've been deceived by him and taken captive to do his will. And if you want to deny the devil exists, you're just playing right into his hands. But Jesus Christ defeated the devil on the cross and his grip on our life. Jesus Christ defeated the power of sin on the cross. And Jesus Christ defeated the world system's pull on us through his death, burial, and resurrection. So as the Jews and the Israelites would gather together for the Feast of Tabernacle to celebrate every year their deliverance, so too in the Jesus' name in the local church, we gather with communion to celebrate our deliverance. And we remember who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he promised in the communion elements, which is awesome. So we do this in remembrance of him, how he brought us out. And when Jesus was speaking in the book of Revelation to the seven churches, there that first church of Ephesus 
he, he said, you know, you guys are really solid on a lot of things, but you, you've left your first love. And that's another thing that communion does for us. It reminds us of being saved by grace, but it reminds us that Jesus is our first love. It reminds us that Jesus is our first love. He's our first love. So remember, so even as God would have the Jews, the men, the women, the Israelites, once a year have a special week to remember how he delivered them from that which they could never deliver themselves in the physical realm, so too the church through communion, we remember our deliverance for what we could never do in the spiritual realm that Jesus Christ has done for us. The fullness of this is in Jesus Christ. What this represents, the fullness is in Jesus Christ. And that remembrance with the Lord in communion time, and it's not, obviously we remember the Lord's faithfulness to us, so it's not limited communion like we think back to when he saved us. Maybe you have a birthday where you remember when you gave your life to Christ. Maybe there's a specific day or event that you remember giving your life to Christ. Remember that. Remember the joy of the Lord. Remember passing from death to life, how different your life became and how much joy there was there in the Lord. We need that flashpoint. We've talked about this going through Exodus. But remember what God has done for our deliverance from the devil, the world system, and sin, and all of our fears, and a deliverance from the fear of the grave as well. He defeated the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? You know, it's like he defeated it. Total victory in Christ Jesus. That's the past. Remember. But then he says, when I bring you to the promised land. So right here in verse 4, on this day you are going in, uh, out, going out in the month of Abid, and it shall be, in verse 5, when the Lord brings you into the land. And then he goes on to say, the land which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep the service in this month. God's going to bring us into the land. He's going to bring us into the promised land. Now, when they went in the promised land, it's interesting, Moses passed away, and Joshua took them to the promised land. And there in the early chapters of Joshua, God says, look, every place the sole of your foot goes is yours. I'm giving it to you. Only do not depart to the right or to the left from my word and let it be to you. And meditate on it day and night. Be strong and be courageous. 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 God says it over and over and over to Joshua. And he says, the sole of your foot goes, I'm giving to you. <laughs> I remember about 20 years ago, we were doing an outreach at the, what's now the softball field at Calvary Chapel right across from the bookstore did a big event out there, worship generation early on. I remember Tim Chaddock was playing with Scarlet Thread. Polanco's were there too, a straight near, but I, I, I taught that verse. I took my shoe off and threw it in the crowd. It was pretty epic. I was like, everywhere your soul foot goes, I, you got it. I took my shoe off and threw it in the crowd. I got everyone fired up. It was pretty cool. Uh, I've since learned to keep my shoes on. Uh, someone brought it to me today. You want your shoe? <laughs> I, like, I was like, I, I taught the rest of the night, like, preached the gospel. Like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But we go into the land. It's a land he's promised to us. So when you, re, when you think about remembering what God's done for you in the past to save you, we also think about what he's bringing us into. Like he, when we pass from death to life, that's why like when you look at like Ephesians and some of the books like that that have to put off and put on, put off the old man, put on the new man. That's what it's like. It's like put off Egypt and put on the promised land. Become who you're meant to be. This unleavened bread represents becoming the person you're meant to be in Christ. Growing in faith, growing in maturity, growing in the things of the Spirit, strengthened in faith, and, and, and becoming more who we're meant to be by the power, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. But we're going into land flowing with milk and honey. Now, theirs was a physical provision of a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a great land. I mean, they inherited a great land. I mean, even to this day, Israel 
in its agri-society, what the, what the modern state of Israel has done is they're one of the largest exporters in the world of all this produce. It's, it's an incredibly fruitful land. The land itself is very fruitful to this day, thousands of years later. It's, it's a land that was promised to them. And when we think so often, there's a lot of hymns in the past about God bringing us into the promised land in Jesus' name and the land formed with milk and honey. And people often say like, well, you know, the, the promised land is like heaven. Actually, really, the better fit is the promised land is like the full spirit life, the abundant life in Christ. Heaven's heaven. You can't, Israel flowing with milk and honey is not the same as walking on streets of gold where there's no more tears and sorrows. We shouldn't confuse those two. There's an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem. But it's still a place of being super fruitful, of being fulfilled and fruitful and abiding and abundant life in Christ. And that's really what the promised land represents for us. It's entering into that spirit life, that fullness of being a spirit-filled woman, being a spirit-filled man, being loving and, and kind and gentle and joyful and having peace and patience and all those things and, and having spiritual gifts working to the benefit of others in the body of Christ. It's being spirit-filled so when you share, your words have power behind them, not because you're loud and boisterous, but just because your words have power. Like Some of the most powerful words are soft-spoken words that are anointed with the Holy Spirit. They have power and authority. So this land formed with milk and honey is, now he said, when the Lord brings you there. Like, and so again, this is a reminder that what God promises is promised. It's not if you get into the promised land, when you get into the promised land. God's doing a work. And there's a lot of when in front of us of when we simply enter into all that he has for us. There's things he wants to do. There's a fullness and we've got one light to fulfill it. You know, when I was playing the DJ set before the service, I played that cry song, and John Luke, there in the cry, wrote that song like 20 years ago, Only One Life. He's just singing, there's one life. Don't let it, don't let it get away from you, because soon it'll fade away. I mean, you've got it now, and it's, it's gone. There's no reduce. He's got one chance to enter into the promised land, and to enter into all the, enter into all the promises, enter into the fruitful life, to be spirit-filled, to have the abundant life, to know the joy of the Lord, to know the consecration of the Lord, to know the bitter water made sweet by adding the cross, the tree, to life's experiences that we've talked about in these, the subsequent, the following chapters with Mara in the place of bitter water. There's an abundant life. An abundant life is being a spirit-filled woman and a spirit-filled man. It's having the joy of the Lord. In reading the book about Ivan Prokhanov, the Russian, Wes Bentley from Far Reaching Ministries sent it to me because he you know, I went to Russia, and West has been ministering in Russia for decades. And this book had been out of print, and it somehow got back into print. Uh, Ivan Prokhanov passed away in 1933 in exile from Russia in Germany. He, he wrote this book in Berlin. And it's a record of about 60 years of church history in Russia, the great awakening of the evangelicals, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching believers there in Russia. Under the czar, the last two czars, including Nicholas II, who was, of course, assassinated by the communist, by the by the Soviets, um, the Red Army, and then, and then the communists, Lenin and those guys. Just in, in reading about this man and his life, in the very beginning he talks about how there was a great pessimism within the Orthodox Church at that time. And there's all these strange sects of Christianity that were really strange. And they're all very pessimistic. The Russian culture... He's post-Civil War our time, like 1865 he was born and grew up in the Caucasus Mountains there down, down by uh, Sochi and the, the Black Sea and all that. But he talks about that there was so much pessimism. And I'm like, well, 
that really got my attention because he's, he uses these terms, pessimism and optimism, and he said his faith in Jesus Christ could only produce optimism. Now, he was imprisoned twice at length for his faith. He was exiled twice and died in exile out of his homeland. But throughout his writing, it's an easy read. It's a very enjoyable read, this book. He, he talks about optimism and faith and hope and always thinking the best. And I'm, I'm amazed by this guy. Like, he's a Russian under the czar and then under the communist, the Bolsheviks, you know? It's like crazy. But he's just like, he's just like Gil Moody, just a spirit-filled person. It's, it's a great day. The Lord's on the throne. And whether I'm in prison or fleeing this place or in exile in Finland or whatever, he just, it's joyful. And it really spoke to me because, again, one of the things that I've tried to articulate as a pastor through worship generation is a perpetual faith and confidence and a joy that the Lord teaches us. Of all the things that can frustrate me as a pastor, because there's things that frustrate you as a pastor, particularly like when you see ministries that you know, aren't teaching the word properly or not even teaching the word at all, those things are grievous. It grieves the Lord. And if you're a shepherd, it's going to grieve you. But when I see people who confess Christ and they're perpetually unhappy and negative, that just, just, I just, I have not been able to reconcile that in 33 years of serving Jesus, and I'm not sure I will ever be able to reconcile that. I just don't understand it. I just don't understand where people are pessimists and negatives when Jesus Christ, they confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I look, only need to look at the life of Ivan Prokhanov as someone who suffered more than any American I know could ever suffer for Jesus. I mean, we get people that are just negative Christians all the time, negative about everything, negative, 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 pessimistic, 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 negative, negative, negative. And you can almost have fun with them. Like when you see them come, like, well, here's that negative person in the church. And you're like, I'm going to just steer this conversation. Every time they say something negative, I'm going to say something positive. And it's almost like a game. Like they say negative, you say positive. They say negative, you say positive. They say negative, you say positive. And they still don't take the bait. It's almost like, here we go again. And if you've never been in a big church, they're at every service. And they generally come up after service and they're just negative. And I don't know what to say. Except that I look at the life of Ivan and I look at my life and I look at our lives and our timeline and we should be a people who are abiding in the land formed with milk and honey and that's a good land. That's a good land. That's a sweet land. That's a sweet place to be. That's a place of sweet fellowship with the Lord and we should be rejoicing with the Lord and we should be optimistic and joyful. We should be as joyful as Miriam running around with the ladies with the tambourines praising Jesus and busting out dancing. I just will never for the life of me understand negative pessimistic people that confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Because Jesus said, I can that you might have life and that more abundantly. And it's not based upon our circumstances. It's based upon the relationship and knowing who he is and what he's promising. And he said, I've spoken these things that your joy would be full. And joy is not based upon circumstances. It's based upon faith. And that's why, like, just in the last couple of years, the Lord just put up, really put on my heart with the whole, the music, the DJ, the dancing, all that. It's like, it, it's a demonstration of joy. I'm trying to project joy the world's outside is crumbling, and you know what? I'm going to dance before the Lord, and I'm just going to praise his name like David, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play all this kind of music that is praising the Lord and glorifying the Lord. So whether it's the Newsboys in the 90s or the Cry in the 2000s or Grits or Toby Mac or whatever, or praise songs that we all know, a Vineyard Burn Service like I played tonight, Whatever it is, I, I'm going to project joy, faith, confidence. Because I want to be, and you want to be, in the land flowing with milk and honey. The place where in the fullness of just enjoying. Like, he gave them vineyards that they didn't plant. He gave them olive groves they didn't plant. He gave them good things, a good land. And they just had to believe and enter in.
And those are physical things, and ours are spiritual. There's no excuse not to have the abundant life and the joy of the Lord. There's just no excuse because Jesus promised it. And if we don't have it, it's on us. It's not on him. And again, Ivan Prokhanov and people like him have persevered with great joy in the Lord through all kinds of circumstances and they're joyful people to have been around. That's who we want to be in the land flowing with milk and honey. God is going to bring us in. He's going to do it. But then the third and final thing we see is in the land where we have the abundant life, we're flowing with the milk and honey, if you will. They were to get together and they were to do this and they were to tell their son in that day. So we had the past deliverance, the, you know, coming into the promised land, the present being of abiding and where they're at. And then they were to tell, verse eight, your son in that day, this is done because what the Lord did for me when I came from Egypt. And then your, this feast of unleavened bread is a sign on the hand. It's a memorial between the eyes. And it's the, the law of the Lord on the mouth. So what you touch, what you see, and what you speak. Isn't that kind of summarize our life? What I touch, especially in COVID-19, what I touch, what I see, what I speak. Do I see things through God's eyes, through faith, the deliverance, the promised land, milk and honey? Do I touch? Is my touch the touch of life, of optimism and faith and confidence in the Lord? Or is it the touch of death because I just kill things? Things should bloom when you touch them. And then my mouth, what I speak. What am I speaking? What am I saying? Are my words life? Like, it's very interesting because he says your hand, your eyes, and your mouth. We'll see more of this going forward. The ears included later on with the blood and the priesthood. But here's your hand. And you're going to tell your sons. You're going to tell your son, hey, son, I redeemed you when you were born. I redeemed you. Yep, because the Lord redeemed us, and I redeemed you. It cost me a lamb to redeem you back. And that was God's way of reminding me that you belong to him and he delivered me in remembrance of what he's done for us because he's going to send his son to be the lamb of God, not just to redeem you, but to redeem all of us who put our faith and trust in him. He's all a shadow son of things to come, but the fullness is Christ. So you're going to tell your son about the faithfulness of the Lord in your life. You're going to have a testimony, parents. You're going to tell your children about the faithfulness of the Lord in your life. It's a memorial. We should build memorials to the Lord with our family. Right now, in this COVID-19, we've been indoors for like six weeks. It's, it's been a challenge. I mean, it's been a challenge. Like, there's no doubt. Like, the all, one thing almost all the various news outlets agree on is it's been a strain for people to be at home together and inactive. It's not the way we've lived our entire generation. But it can be a memorial if and when we ever get back to normal life, I want to look back and say, this is what I did. I, this is what I did. I prayed for these people. I read these scriptures. I taught this passage. These are my devotions. These are the thoughts. These are the things I learned to, with music and dance to prepare to do more outreach and to reach more people. Because as I was saying earlier, in doing the DJ and the dancing, I want to encourage God's people to have joy, not because of the circumstances, but because Jesus is over their lives and in those circumstances. And I want to be a witness to the world like we're singing the song, um, with shine, with the newsboys, let them on the outside looking bored, wonder what's going on, that they'd glorify the Lord. That's, I love that line in that song from Newsboys from tonight's DJ set. Like, that's what we should have. And I know, like, people look at me dancing, posting dance videos, it's like, dude, Joey Brand's a trip, man. Like, you know, like, what is up? And it's like, ah, oh, the message is in the songs, and I'm dancing before the Lord. And people that know the Lord are like, dude, that encourages me. Because we're, like, thinking, like, 
how we're going to resist the government or something, and you're making me want to dance and just let it go and give it to the Lord. And then non-believers are like, man, Joey Brand's a Jesus freak, man. You're not just a Jesus freak. That guy's a move-busting Jesus freak. Like, you know, like, yeah. So I can tell you, I can tell my children, I can touch touch a life. It's just, I can be that person. I can, that, my mouth, my hands, my eyes, I can, it's there. It's life. It's a legacy. It's a legacy for the future. I think in my life, I'm almost 60. So again, 20 is nothing. 20 is when we started worship generation. 20 is Phil Wickham at 16. Jeremy Camp in his early 20s. 20 years ago was the beginning of worship generation. 20 years ago, I was on staff with Calvary Costa Mesa and Pastor Chuck. Let me teach on Thursday nights. All I have to do is go back to 20 years ago. That timeline to this timeline went pretty fast. And if I do that timeline, then I'm 80. This is it. So what I have to do, what we have to do, is have the testimony in remembrance of God's deliverance for us by grace. To have that abundant life, the land flowing with milk and honey, the spirit-filled life coming from us, to be abiding, to be joyful, and, and letting our good works glorify the Lord. And then we need to have the testimony for the future, for the next generation. Because it says, you shall tell your son in that day, and you're going to tell him. You're going to show him with your hands, your mouth, your actions, what you do. You're going to tell him how I've been faithful to you. That's you're going to do. <laughs> when... My son Timmy went away to the Bay Area to go to Cal State Maritime, and he had all kinds of liberal antichrist professors up there. And he kind of, you know, those guys, when they come home from college, sometimes they're, they're really smart, you know, like they're smarter than their parents. And I, I just, I would just remind Timmy and, and even my other kids and anyone that listen, like, hey, listen, see all these blessings that you grew up with? This, this marriage of your parents? All the food on the table? Air conditioning? Heating in the winter? The school you went to at Calvary, all those wonderful experiences, going to Calvary Chapel schools from kindergarten, Calvary Chapel School. Miss Helen, all your teachers, playing high school football, Honor Society, all those good things. Mr. Wu, Jay Henry, all these people, Jason Huffman, all these people that loved you, important to you. The people attacking our faith, you have to measure their lives by our lives. You have to measure their life and their worldview and what's got them by our life. And you need to thank the Lord for all the good things you have because all these blessings are because of the Lord. This isn't random, dumb luck. Darwinism's finest moment is growing up in our household. No, this is the house contrary to the Lord. This is a holy place. This is a blessed place. It's a land full with milk and honey. I'll say this. Timmy was the only one of the four kids that ever tried to play the PK, you know, the preacher's kid thing, which is, you know, that's when kids are rebellious and they blame it on their pastor parents or the MK missionary kids. But everyone knows in our family it doesn't work because when our first son, Jesse, died, I purposed never to put ministry over the family, and I never have, and the kids will testify. So the funny thing was when Timmy said, well, you know, it's hard being a PK. I didn't have to say anything. He's the only kid that ever said it in our family. I didn't say anything. Man, his sisters jumped on him, like just throwing down blows almost. Like, Timmy, 
of all the things you can say, don't even. It was just like, man, I just remember. It was like the whole family was like, it was like, uh, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon with Tasmanian Devil. It's just like, they just like mugged Timmy. Don't ever drop that PK thing in this family because you've been blessed in this household. All those thousands of Bible studies, and I do mean thousands of Bible studies with my kids. Is this, all of it. Leah still jokes about being scared to death with the Left Behind movie series. I said, good, because you don't want to be left behind. <laughs> Who's serving the Lord right now? Leah's serving the Lord. It's good. Left behind movies should scare you. They scared me. (laughs) Who wants to get left behind? Yeah. In fact, in talking about the consecration, I'm going to close with this thought. It says that the contrast of Egypt, they were wiped out. They were wiped out. They're in verse 15. You know, like Pharaoh was stubborn. Our world around us is stubborn. They they were wiped out by the Lord. And the world's going to be wiped out by the Lord for being stubborn. He's going to give them over to a deceiving spirit of the Antichrist. And they're not going to be able to believe the truth, even if they wanted to, because they don't want to, and they can't. They'll be past redemption, we're told in 2 Thessalonians. But all the firstborn is redeemed to the Lord. And it says, concerning that law of the firstborn, so it shall be when your son, verse 14, asks you in times come, what is this? So in some cases, you tell your son, hey, this is it. In other cases, he's going to ask you. So some things you tell your kids, like, hey, this is the way it is. And other times, like, you bait them, and then they got to come ask you, like, so, Dad, why is it like this? It's like this because of this. It's funny. My daughter, Hannah, turns 30 tomorrow. So not only am I knocking on the door of 60, I'm going to have a 30-year-old child tomorrow. Hannah will be 30 tomorrow. All the kids are adults. They're all doing good. They're all growing in their own way with the Lord, and that's a good thing. And there's times when I said, this is why we do what we do. And there's been times when they've asked me, why do we do this? And I get to tell them. And really, if you could summarize this whole third element of this law of consecration and remembrance, is it's so important that the next generation knows the legacy of faith. For one generation proclaim the praises to another. And that's what we do. And in this COVID-19, it's an incredible opportunity for parents of older kids, younger kids, and whatever to to sow the seed of the legacy of faith in their children. It's a consecrated time. Be still, not, be still know thou in the Lord is what this time is saying to all of us. So I encourage all of us, like, tell your children with your hands and your mouth and your eyes the faithfulness of the Lord and the, show them the abundant, the land of blessing, the abundant life that we're in. Show it to them and then give it to them. Give it to them for their future that they can have it for their future and pass it on to our children's children. But ultimately, it's up to each one of us in our own home to say, like Joshua said at the end of his life, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not a forced element of the law, per se, but really a great privilege to be consecrated to the Lord, be delivered by the Lord, and have him want to consecrate our firstborn. It didn't take me long to realize when we lost our first son, it wasn't so much that God took our son but he really allowed us by faith to consecrate our son to the Lord and, and go forward and raise the children that came after that. For faith is the sudden things hopeful the evidence not yet seen. And ours is a total redemption. We're in it, and we're passing it on in Jesus' name.